Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Test Tubes and Cauldrons, a podcast where we talk about the science behind spirituality. I'm Astra. I'm Hani. And I'm Fel. And this week we are going to be talking about intuition and deja vu, but before we get into that, I'm going to pass it over to Hanny, who will do our What Happened on This Day. Today is the birthday of Max Planck. Max Karl Ernst Ludwig Planck was a German theoretical physicist who studied in Munich and Berlin. He studied under Helmholtz, Clausius, and Kirchhoff, and subsequently joined the faculty there. He became Professor of Theoretical Physics, and his work on the law of thermodynamics and the distribution of radiation from a black body led him to abandon classical Newtonian principles and introduce the quantum theory in 1900, for which he was awarded the Nobel Prize in Physics. This assumes that energy is not infinitely subdivisible, but ultimately exists as discrete amounts he called quanta. Further, the energy carried by a quantum depends in direct proportion to the frequency of its source radiation. And we're going to talk a little tiny bit about quantum today, which is why I chose this fact. Begrudgingly. We're going to talk about it begrudgingly. At least I will. (laughs) Before we get into that, okay, so the first thing on our docket for today is deja vu. Let's talk about what we think deja vu is. Do any of you have like a informal personal definition? I mean, for me, deja vu is like any one of those moments. It's, It's really hard to describe. It's really... I feel like it's easier to describe through the use of filmic language. I would explain something like if you know what the Hitchcock zoom is, it's hard to describe that in a in an audio medium, but it's basically where you, you zoom out at the same time that you're moving forward. So it's like the kind of mind blown. That's why it's called the Hitchcock zoom because it's used in like psychological thrillers. It's kind of like the mind blown film expression. It's kind of that one moment where it's like something's not quite right here. It's very much how it feels to me. And I mean, I know I speak French, so like I know what I think a lot of people too also know what it means. And we touched upon that. It basically means to see again. It's kind of a good way to describe it. It feels like you're seeing or feeling something again. For me, it feels like, and it's a very, very, very unsettling feeling. It feels like I died in like a game and then I resumed from a save point. And I'm being given the opportunity to start again from that save point. And it's horrible because it's almost like, oh no, something something bad is going to happen because of this it's, it's just a very yeah very very weird feeling as if you know exactly where you've been and not only that but the subsequent moments for me always feel as if I know what's going I'm going what's going to happen in those next few moments very 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 strange for me it's more of a feeling of just like surprise familiarity so there have been a couple of instances especially recently which is weird I don't know like why it's happening more now than it has in the past where I'll be doing something and I'll just get this thought and I'm like I've done this before I don't know when but like I've definitely done this before and it's like what is this day like going happening all over again it reminds me of that supernatural episode where the same the day just like goes on and on when they're in that time loop that's how it feels I'll just like sit there and be like wait but I've done this before like What's going on? But when I was doing research for this episode, I found that it was actually very difficult to define. And the term, like Fell said, is French, and it was coined by the French scientist Emile Boirac, I think, in 1876. It essentially means already seen, although there are some additional variations, including meanings that say you've already thought it, or you've already visited, or you've already experienced. Most of the time, kind of like with what we all said, people describe it as a feeling that you've seen or experience something before when you know logically that you haven't. Interestingly, some people confuse deja vu with precognitive experiences, or the feeling of knowing exactly what is going to happen next, and then experiencing that exact thing. 
But the key difference to keep in mind is that deja vu is experienced during an event, so in the moment, while precognitive experiences quote-unquote predict the future in kind of an unknowable sort of way. But after the initial term was created, psychologists attempted to further categorize the types of deja vu, but it's really variable. And you have some people who have two categories, you have some people who have six, and some people who have four. But a general consensus leads us to two distinct types, associative deja vu and then biological deja vu. Associative deja vu is what most of us experience when this happens. So when you see, you hear, or you smell, or you experience something that stirs a feeling in you and associates that with something that you've previously heard, seen, smelled, or experienced before. Some researchers actually think that deja vu is is a memory-based experience, which I will get into later. Biological deja vu happens more with people who experience seizures or have temporal lobe abnormalities, which again, I'll touch upon later. Right before a seizure will happen, they report experiencing a heightened sense of deja vu and having it be very real. But research has suggested that this is different than the associative and typically lasts longer than the associative deja vu, which lasts anywhere from about 30 seconds to like a minute until you think about it. And then obviously it it extends farther than that. So what is the scientific explanation behind deja vu? I'm going to start this off by saying that we don't know. Like anything to do with the brain, we don't know. But there are some theories, and so that's kind of what I'll touch upon a little bit right now. Although um was the first to coin the term, he did not actually put a lot of time into further research of deja vu. For the large part of the 20th century, scientists used the theory based on Freudian psychology called paramnesia to explain it. They also didn't do a lot of research into this because they associated a lot of it with end-of-life experiences and like alien stuff and occult and hidden things and just like things that they wouldn't normally take seriously right because they were like nah this is just woo woo crap despite the stigma that deja vu had and actually kind of still has current research has begun to incorporate brain imaging to try and see if there is a connection between deja vu and the formation retrieval and also the creation of memories So in 1997, John D.E. Gabrielli at Sanford University found that the hippocampus enables us to consciously recall events, and then he further discovered that the parahippogyrus helps us determine what is and is not familiar. And his work actually led to the thought that the medial temporal lobe, parahippocampal gyrus, and the rhinal cortex are all involved in memory and may actually play a role in this phenomena. You're going to hear me saying a lot of brain-related terms. I don't blame you if you want to like pull up a map of the brain and make sure you know what regions I'm talking about. It's all very confusing and it gets very complicated. Do your best to, to follow along here. Moving on to some evidence for the mechanism of deja vu. Again, there's really not a lot. We have is kind of what we talked about back in the meditation episode during our first season where we talked about how like different parts of the brain were becoming more active and under certain experiences of certain types of meditation. We see something similar happening here. There was an author who published a review study in the Journal of Neuropsychiatry and Clinical Neurosciences. He published essentially his hypothesis of what he thinks deja vu is happening. And he said that deja vu is the phenomenological result of a false activation of connections between mesiotemporal memory structures and neocortical areas directly involved in the perception of the environment. This incorrect activation then results in labeling a momentary perceived scene 
as familiar, which fits in with the short time span that we see with associative deja vu. He then continues by saying that deja vu experiences reflect an inflexible parohippocampal recognition memory system, which is ultimately responsible for the feeling of familiarity. Counter to that being that a more flexible parohippocampal recognition memory system leads to less deja vu and more just seeing it as a normal experience or memory recollection specifically. Is it almost like they can't form the new memory and they're, they are just retrieving like previous models? Is that kind of what the theory is here? Yeah, so it's interesting because the parohippocampus seems to be more involved in memory retrieval, whereas the hippocampus itself seems to be more involved in like recognition of your surroundings and then also spatial recognition of that and so when you when you call a memory from the past your hippocampus is involved in spatially orienting yourself kind of in in reference to that memory but the parahippocampus seems to make some alterations to that and so you're not it's not like as realistic and so instead of retrieving the memory in full you get this kind of skewed vision or this like familiar thing that happens again we don't really know but there is a difference there it's really interesting i will link a couple of papers below that talk about this in more depth if you're curious i really encourage you read them. This clinical psychiatrist cited a couple of studies that I'll talk about briefly here that different symptoms were included under a label that they called vivid recollection. Seizures were recorded from a wide area within the mesial and neocortical temporal lobe. So essentially they watched a person have a seizure and they measured what parts of the brain were, were active at that point. But in four of the six patients who reported deja vu, so I have a total of 10, six patients reported deja vu, but only four of these six patients had activity recorded in the parohippocampal gyrus, which is sort of evidence, but at the same time, they didn't really have a negative control. And their positive control were people who had had seizures. That's assuming there's only one way, like one verified method of recording what activity there would be. And it's also not including any other potential reasons why these areas might actually be lighting up with activity. So that is a little like, eh. But then he cited another paper. This is kind of where he meshed his hypothesis with the data that this study provided. His hypothesis suggests then that neocortical areas that are directly connected to the parahippocampus gyrus should be preferentially involved in deja vu. And then he cited a series of studies that showed that deja vu experiences were documented after stimulation of directly connected superior temporal gyrus, which is associated with the parahippocampus gyrus, but not after the stimulation of the inferior and middle temporal gyri. And these areas specifically are connected with the hippocampus via the perihineal cortex, and again, associated a little bit more with like spatial representation, recognition, and then also memory like recollection. Not like super solid evidence there, but we've got some associations between which areas of the brain are active and not. The next couple of studies I actually found a little bit more interesting because I think it's a little more quantitative versus more qualitative. But the unfortunate thing about these next couple of studies is that they fall within the biological category of deja vu. And so they're looking at it with respect to temporal lobe epilepsy, which is a disease where deja vu is experienced frequently before seizures, which is a side effect of this. There was a study that measured the hypometabolism, that's a fancy way of saying slow glucose breakdown, during positron emission tomography. It's, and essentially what they did here is they like radio labeled glucose and then measured its breakdown over time. They used this to assess the functional anatomy of deja vu, and then they compared this metabolic activity, that breakdown of glucose, 
in a range of patients with and without seizure related to deja vu. So patients were selected from a series of surgical candidates for intractable epilepsy. So they all had TLE or temporal lobe epilepsy. 14 said they, they experienced deja vu habitually and 17 reported that they did not. Through this study, they were able to show that the mesial temporal structures and the parietal cortex and other visual association areas had significant hypometabolism in deja vu patients. There was a difference between its activity versus the hippocampus and your frontal temporal lobes and your inferior and your medial and all of those. That study really just showed that there was a difference in the regions of activation. But the next study then further built upon this by using the same technology, but instead focusing on specific structures within the media temporal lobes that are responsible for deja vu rather than the regions like the study above. They included 16 temporal lobe ep epilepsy patients, eight of whom experienced deja vu, and eight who did not, along with a control group of 20 neurologically healthy patients, so they didn't have any disease. And in comparison to the healthy subjects, they, the deja vu group displayed significant hypometabolism in the parahippocampal regions, the superior temporal sulcus, that might have been a misspelling on my writing here, so could be wrong, and the superior temporal gyrus supporting the other studies and the regions believed to be involved in this phenomena. So you have some things that are building on each other saying like, yes, these regions and these structures in these regions seem to be engaged, but we really still don't know the full mechanism behind how deja vu happens. Before this episode, my conception of deja vu was like, oh, your brain's wires get crossed somehow. And I feel like after the explanation, I that's still kind of my explanation that's of how kind it works. Of like, what I took away from it too, it's like, it's almost like when you have wires crossed, right? And you had this like spark and instead of going where it's supposed to go, it goes somewhere else. That's kind of like the gist that I'm getting from it. It's like you have these regions that when they interact somehow, there's like a misfiring and it goes one place instead of another place. And that's what causes the deja vu. That's what I'm getting from it. But it seems like nobody knows. <laughs> nobody knows anything. It's interesting. I wasn't really able to find any like very, really recent studies. I think the ones that used the positron emission like spectroscopy were from like 2012. I haven't been able to find anything more recent than that. So I'm guessing it's not like a super interesting or well-funded area of research, which makes it even harder to come up with an explanation. So because I'm me, I like don't really remember. I can't tell you for sure any like concrete time that I've experienced deja vu. I know I've experienced it a lot. But for me, what's interesting is I get like deja vu in my dreams so I have these reoccurring dreams in which I will be like going through the motions of the dream and then I realize I have deja vu in the dream. Right? Like I realize I've done something before and I realize how it's going to go. And so in these dreams that I have, I also experience frequent lucid dreaming, which I think ties into this as well. And so I'll actually like stop the dream and I have superpowers in these dreams where I can turn back time and change it before whatever is about to happen happens. Like, I don't actually experience a lot of deja vu in my day-to-day -day life like I have before, but not in a while, but I experience it a lot in my dream life. Even if it's not a reoccurring dream, the reoccurring theme is that I can turn back time and will realize I've done something before. It very much feels like the video game way that Henny describes how I imagine a video game character. <laughs> to feel. So in this question we ask, is it something you perceive to be spiritual or just a brain malfunction? For me, I think it's definitely a little bit of both. I don't know. I feel like it's too uncanny for me to view it as, as something that's just a brain malfunction, I guess. So I tend to view it as kind of spiritually 
not spiritually based necessarily, but I think it's one of those mundane and magical moments. I think there can be a lot of synchronicity that happens with deja vu. As we get into intuition, I'll talk a little bit more about how I view that difference between just your thought and a gut feeling versus something that is more spiritually based. What you said about lucid dreaming is really interesting because I, I haven't had deja vu in a dream that I can remember, but I do have this uh, thing with sleep paralysis where I will wake up, but I haven't really woken up and I'll kind of walk across the room and then I'll wake up again in the dream and I'll be in like loops of the dream. And it's, it's a very similar feeling to deja vu, that sensation. It just makes me wonder whether there's some kind of link to like sleep lucid dreaming i know people with narcolepsy often have sleep paralysis lucid dreaming so it makes me wonder whether there's like a biological link to those things or maybe i'm just talking up my ass but um, <laughs> it's it's yeah just kind of interesting to uh, see the parallels between those things i also i don't know if you guys experience this but if i get deja vu i tend to get get it in clusters so i tend to get like lots of deja vu in like a week and then i won't have it for a little for a little while which for me seems to suggest it's some kind of biological thing for me, at least in part, although it does feel quite significant. So I'm hesitant to sort of dismiss any spiritual explanation. I don't know if that's something that you experience or not. Yeah, I mean, I have also experienced that I typically get it in clusters and it's weird because it won't happen for a couple of months and then in the span of a couple of days or even a week, it's like I'll have multiple experiences of it. And I'm like, what is going on? Generally for me, I don't I don't necessarily consider it spiritual in the sense like I would a a spirit or a deity like trying to get my attention or anything i it's like one of those like magically mundane type of things right where you you get the deja vu and it, it i almost feel like the universe is being like hey pay attention to this thing like you just just think about it for an extra couple of minutes or spend maybe a little bit more time on it it's like a little nudge that's not that doesn't feel super spiritual but it's almost like a like if you were to skim the page of a book and then you flip to the next page and it's a oh, way I don't understand what's going on because you miss like a crucial point. And so it's like, oh, I skimmed across this thing and I moved on and the universe was like, nah, go back and like think about it a second time before we move on. So it's not like super spiritual, but it's not entirely mundane either in my perspective. Oftentimes I think of it as like, a, okay, I'm going to go back and like pay a little bit more attention to this before I move on. Okay. Intuition. What do you think intuition is? Like, how would you define it? Can you define it? So I would refer to intuition as um, kind of understanding and often also making a decision about a process or a concept without needing kind of conscious reasoning. So it's, it's when you approach a situation and you just know something or more commonly for me, you know what to do in response to a situation. I think there are more diverse explanations than that, but that for me was the base one that covers <laughs> most situations. Intuition is again one of those things that's like, you're like, oh yeah, that's pretty easy to understand. And then you're like, but I don't know how to describe it. But yeah, it's kind of like a gut feeling, which I also find a very funny choice of words because that implies directionality where we feel it. It's like how emotions are very physical and people like kind of forget that emotions are a physical reaction. It's, it's a very like your body is kind of like your subconscious is feeding your body information in some ways that then your conscious mind interprets which is why it gets sticky because it's hard to parse out what anxiety for example versus what is you interpreting an actual red flag that's how I kind of see intuition as like a, a subconscious and mind body reaction to some situation yeah I see it in much the same way so I think of intuition as subconscious decision making based on cues that would normally be considered non-essential for survival that are coming from the environment. 
So a kind of like sixth sense where you can logically explain the unease away, but it still nags at you. We talk about how, you know, we're bombarded by tons of, of environmental stimuli all of the time. And we only process and engage with the ones that are that are necessary for our survival. So I kind of think of intuition as this stimuli that our conscious is like not important and doesn't actually apply to like you not dying from being eaten by a bear. But at the same time, it's just like you your just subconscious has this feeling of like, okay, logically, maybe it's not important, but I have this gut reaction that like I need to be paying attention to it. I love that you included the survival bit because yeah, it's like, oh, my intuition tells me that I need to run away from this bear. <laughs> like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's usually like yeah, a, a non-fatal situation. <laughs> so what are some of your experiences with intuition and why is it important to the occult? I'm going to say people think it's more important to the occult than it actually is. That's my hot take for the episode. <laughs> So what did I write? I, I write little notes to myself that I then have to interpret. So one of the things that was very interesting to me, so I've talked about this on a few platforms. I don't really remember. But basically, I grew up in like, there's like a fundamentalist Christian. And there was like a very interesting thing that happened where they taught us kind of how to interpret our intuition in this very interesting way which is kind of like how i the way that i interact with deities i think has some like their holdovers from that so like their emphasis was like a really really deeply personal relationship with god and so for example we'd like go out into the woods pray or something and then just kind of listen and you're listening to the world around you but you're also listening to yourself and kind of like these intuitive quote unquote pulls that where you're supposed to kind of interpret as like God leading you somewhere so like some people would like go deeper into the woods yeah so that, that was very much like intuition based and I think we get into sticky territory intuition versus like intrusive thoughts for example I have OCD and also as part of that slash ADHD I also struggle with maladaptive daydreaming which is a form of intrusive thoughts people talk a lot about maladaptive daydreaming and the occult space because it's I think it's a real big issue of people not not being able to discern what is an intrusive thought versus what is intuition and like I don't think I know the answer to that necessarily a lot of it is is kind of that there's I don't think intuition is necessarily spiritual for the reason that I don't think like I don't think that like a god like you feeling a certain pull to something is necessarily your intuition but it is rather something that is more divinely breathed, I guess, which is why I think intuition itself is not inherently spiritual. Because to me, that like spiritual pull is is outside of yourself, whereas intuition is a part of you, is a part of the human experience. I hope that made any sense. Do you think of it more like intuition being like a more maybe natural proclivity towards something versus like the divine outside interference? I don't think there's a clear line, I guess. I was going to use an example, but then I realized it was kind of spiritually. But let's say I'm talking to someone, right? So like if I'm interviewing for a housemate, which is relevant <laughs> to my life situation. And if I'm interviewing for a housemate, they might seem very good. They might seem very cool. But as I'm talking to them, there's just a nagging feeling. There's just something inside of me that is screaming no. And then later on, I find out that this person, I don't know, set their last house on fire. <laughs> I don't know. This didn't actually happen. To be clear, this didn't actually happen. I'm just using a hyperbole here to make a point. So that I would consider intuition. But I don't think intuition necessarily is inherently divorced from the divine experience. Because I think one could say, oh, well, like maybe 
I don't know, Hestia was this nagging voice, that that's where that voice was coming from, as opposed to me directly, which is why I think intuition is like a sticky territory, because it's hard to tell the difference between what is your intuition and what is something outside of yourself. And I don't think it's a clear cut line because I think it's also important not to like know but yourself. Like if you're doing a ritual, like so for example, we, me and my housemate, sometimes when we do rituals, we do things where we kind of let the ritual be more free form and let almost like the divine guide us, which then is heavily like listening to ourselves. If, if you're feeling a pull and like you question every pull, well, then you're never going to finish the ritual, you know, and you're just going to like no but yourself. So I think there's a fine line, which is why I think certain things are more advanced, not because I think that they're dangerous, but because I think it's hard to learn discernment. And I think even a lot of quote unquote advanced practitioners don't know discernment why I think intuition is not necessarily spiritual but I think it can be hard to decipher or discern between that and what is spiritual does that make any sense yeah it totally makes sense to me it's weird because I think that there's there's like a really heavy influence on like having intuition and developing your intuition and um I also have OCD so it's it's always been like a sticky territory for me to be able to differentiate intrusive thoughts versus what is genuine intuition. I think it's a very useful skill for example when you're doing divination so maybe you might rely on that sense of intuition as to you know whether you need to pull another card or whether you need to try something else or whether you know your your action relating to the divination. But something that I've noticed is that there are certain aspects of spirit of spiritual communities that suggest that intuition itself is like a spiritual skill people were free to refer to empaths for example having higher than average intuition or people who refer to it as more of like a psychic ability and i think that's where for me the the line is crossed because i don't i don't really think of it as something that is inherently spiritual in nature i think of it as something that my brain can do or not do very well and at kind of pattern matching and help me make decisions and maybe that could be divinely influenced but I don't think that it's a necessarily psychic ability, but I know that people's opinions kind of differ on that. But yeah, it is very important for discernment. Yeah, I've also heard people kind of referred to intuition as like on the same level as the Claire's, um, which I don't think is really the right way to talk about it. For me, intuition, I hesitate to say that it's divinely guided, but at the same, because to me, it's more just like this this pull or this feel that something is is right in the moment. So if we're talking about in a more spiritual setting, like if you're doing a ritual, and I think this happens more in folk magic rather than ceremonial magic. And if there are ceremonial magicians out there who disagree, by all means, please let me know, where you feel this pull to like, use an herb or you like maybe add on to an incantation um i have rarely in the past felt the like pull to eat an offering when i normally wouldn't do that or recite a poem that i use for a spiritual purpose it's like that natural pull to do something that just feels right in the moment i don't necessarily think it's an inherently spiritual and i think a lot of times that's influenced by the environment that you're in so when we're in a ritual setting i think it's easier to listen to your intuition because you're kind of in the correct mindset for it. I'll be totally honest, like listening to intuition is something that I'm really bad at doing, at least in ritual, because I do a lot of the like 
but no, like, but no, that's not what I'm supposed to do. Like, but you know, all of this kind of thing, because I'm just a natural skeptic and I can't help it. <laughs> I think it definitely has its place. And when, when I do listen to it, it leads to oftentimes to a more enhanced experience, maybe not necessarily more spiritual in nature, but at least more enhanced in many ways. So I think it has a place, but I definitely don't think it is as crucial as people make it out to be. Yeah, like Hanny said, we just hear up, yeah, your intuition is so important. Your intuition is like, it is important and you should listen to it. But also along the lines of what Belle said, we have to be really careful to make sure that we're listening to our intuition and not to like the other voices in your head, the voice of like OCD or in my case, like anxiety and all of these other things that can impact that. And this is where beginners, I have tend to hate me, at least in my experience, when I bring up the importance of something like meditation, which is practice where if you do it regularly, you get into this practice of like silencing your own thoughts. And that gives intuition kind of the pathway to become more obvious. And like you can listen to it without being influenced by what would normally happen in your brain. It's not, and again, I don't like to say that meditation is like silencing your thoughts because it's not, but it's kind of just like, putting things behind like a white noise barrier so that other things have the opportunity to come forth. Yeah. So if you want to strengthen your quote unquote intuition or learn how to like listen to that, meditation is honestly like the best way to do that. Is the modern idea of intuition or discernment historically attested? I think that's really hard to suss out because I feel like actually our, our modern views, okay, I'm going to throw Claire's out the window. I don't think Claire's, all of that stuff is, is, is not necessarily, as it is defined now, historically attested. We see like bits and pieces throughout history, but like them, how they are defined, like so succinct, so succinctly and so concretely, which I think is kind of ironic that a lot of things like the Claire's, like Claire audience, Claire salients, etc., are defined so concretely considering they're not a concrete thing. Intuition, I would say, as it comes to the way that I kind of described it, I feel like is is very commonly seen throughout history. I mean, if you read ancient texts, they kind of more or less say, like, I had a feeling this was going to happen. And almost like they interpreted these feelings kind of like how we sometimes interpret them of like this is what needs to be done the reason i said this because i think intuition is inseparable from the human experience so it makes sense that everyone kind of had their own explanation for it however discernment was also a really big thing and i think interestingly enough discernment has gone down <laughs> um at least in our current times this is interesting because in the ancient world discernment was really important because it, it was these feelings, these these moments of, of telling, of like reading the signs, like reading the weather or just kind of intuitively feeling a certain way, it could be viewed as like fake. A lot of them are viewed as like divinely given, but it could also be a lie, right? I mean, like in the Iliad, the Iliad opens with Zeus sending Agamemnon a lying dream. <laughs> so there was this kind of idea that things could still be divine and also false. Not necessarily like trickery, but it was like the gods work in mysterious ways, at least in the Homeric age. This might have been a bit different in the classical age. But they had this understanding that certain things were like false interpretations. And this is seen throughout the world, right? I mean, that's why diviners were really sought after because they wanted to get a correct discernment from a sign or that was internal or external. And if you 
interpreted it wrong. <laughs> Bad news for you if you were the diviner. There was this idea that sometimes these signs could be false, but also a lot of times it was that there was like human error in interpreting them. So I think that's kind of where I see there being similarities and differences, if that makes sense. Do you think that maybe there's less of an emphasis on discernment now because we live in like a kind of more rationalist society so there's maybe less of an emphasis on using your intuition in general and so people tend towards either blindly trusting intuition or trusting a more quantitative methods of knowledge like you're not i don't want to say trained in using intuition but like because it was if it was used so much more in past times then maybe there was more of an emphasis on getting it right yeah i feel like people have this pressure almost to be it's either 100 percent true or it's a trickster spirit and there's no in between like i say a lot I've said this on many platforms. I think the biggest trickster spirit is yourself, namely your own discernment and lack thereof, which is why I think discernment is the most underrated occult tool. We're just not taught how to tell the difference between our intrusive thoughts, which everyone experiences, regardless, you know, of, of mental health. Everyone kind of has those brain moments where you're just like, why did I think that? And so we're not taught to decipher between that, our actual intuition, and then something that might be more definely breathed right like the amount of times like in middle school or something that like my friend would be like this is gonna happen this is what's gonna happen her not being able to tell that that was her anxiety talking and not like her genuine intuition versus then something that is like more divinely breathed so I think we have we struggle enough <laughs> to tell the difference between our own thoughts and our own mundane intuition let alone something that is more divine I think discernment or lack thereof. I agree with you, Phil, but I feel like discernment has just gone down the freaking drain in the modern era. I think it comes from lack of experiential knowledge and also academic knowledge to an extent. You can't judge something properly unless you have experienced something that is maybe poor or good or you know about something that is maybe good or bad. And I'm using those as binary, but it's like more complicated than that, obviously. Unless you've had those experiences or you've read, you know, a variety of things, it's really hard to be able to discern because you don't have the framework in which to do so effectively. And I think that's maybe why the ancients were so much better at it is because they were well-trained in lots of different things, mathematics, the arts, to philosophy, and I mean, theology, all of it. And so their ability to discern was based on this kind of very well-rounded knowledge pool and experience pool that they kind of were able to discern with. And nowadays, we don't have that. I think within the occult community specifically, we have so many people that are either armchair occultists and there's something wrong with that. I get it. We all we all are one at one point in our practice. Also just like not truly having like magical experience that prevents people from then being able to discern well. And so that's where that lack of it comes from, which is really unfortunate because I think if I agree with you, if we learned how to discern better, I think everything would just, there would be much less fear mongering because people could discern for themselves instead of just listening to what, other, what everybody else says. Let's talk about how intuition works and maybe get into some scientific discussion about the mechanisms behind it. So I think, I think we already talked about intuition as a kind of psychic ability. So there are some people who believe that yeah, there is kind of one sort of future or truth and the intuition is like your guidance towards telling the future or making decisions. I think 
I mean, I felt I don't know if you spoke on this, but we're pretty much agreed that that's not what, how we believe intuition works. Like, at least I don't, I don't believe that it's a, a psychic thing, um, but there are people who do. There's also the spirit model, which I suppose you could extend to include gods. So there are people who believe that intuition is guidance received in a kind of vague way through divinity or through spirits that you're working with or through even just spirits in like the area that you're in and then scientifically and since we are on testes and cauldrons there are a few different explanations but before we get into the scientific explanations we have to kind of talk about what intuition is scientifically and those definitions uh, kind of get a little bit more granular so i thought maybe we could go through those so intuition is kind of the same concept it's understanding without conscious reasoning but the context of it might differ. So there's moral intuition. So this is a feeling that a particular action is morally wrong. So you see something happening that's, you know, somebody's getting beaten up in the street and you're like, no, oh my goodness. So this is interestingly, like you would think that this is maybe hard hardwired into us as humans, as social animals, but it does seem like moral intuition, um, it actually differs between cultures. So there's some kind of social component to it. Like we are somewhat socialized to, towards our morals. Then there's emotional intuition. So this can either refer to moral intuition or social intuition. And basically it's it's kind of processes similar to empathy. So understanding people's emotions, em- emotional state. I got a lot of answers about intuitive empaths when I Googled this, so I will say no more. Then there's social intuition. So this is sometimes used to refer to understanding body language and social cues. Particularly this is used when describing neurodivergent people. So for example, you might say that Autistic people have a different social intuition because their understanding of body language might be different to a neurotypical person. Then there's kind of what we've really discussed throughout the episode, professional intuition or other decision-making intuition. So that's knowledge of what you're supposed to do in a particular situation, um, an uncertain situation. And finally, there's this thing called insight. So insight and intuition are slightly different things. So insight is when you suddenly get clarity a period of time after you've confronted a problem. So you've been mulling something over and all of a sudden you get your aha moment and you're like, oh yes, there's that's the answer. You know, you might also call that divine inspiration. But basically intuition is thought to be more of a yes, no answer to something. So I should do this versus I should do that. And insight is more about the what of the situation, broadly speaking. So maybe in some of this episode, we've actually, we've actually been talking about insight via fMRI, whether you believe functional MRIs, I don't know. <laughs> they, they show differences in areas of the brain. So Intuition is more linked to kind of decision-making under uncertainty, whereas insight's more linked to kind of conscious representations of a problem. And also, we've kind of talked about like the relevance of expertise. Intuition benefits from tacit knowledge. So if you have experience or expertise of a problem, you're more likely to make a correct intuitive judgment about it. Before I kind of go into the scientific explanations, do you have any to add to this or like, or even take away? I think the emotional intuition for me is a, a, a little bit under doubt. <laughs> I really like the discussion of the difference between insight and intuition. And it's all, I kind of, I don't know if you would say that there's a connection between, between the two. So like maybe intuition surrounding an insight. So, or intuition that leads you to an insight. I mean, I think you could do it either way. And it's interesting to me that I've never considered them to be different, but like the way in which it was described definitely is. And I can see how there would be an interaction between both one that possibly even leads to another, which is also interesting that they use such different parts of the brain. 
yeah, that's really fascinating. If you wouldn't mind sending me the paper <laughs> or wherever you read <laughs> where they talked to the different areas of activation, that'd be great. So there's a few different mechanisms that are proposed for intuition. It's not really something that's formally understood in a, like a singular way, but there is this idea or hypothesis that we have our analytical reasoning, which is kind of a, a slower, but maybe more accurate form of reasoning, which which is kind of based on facts and conscious thought. And then we have uh, intuitive reasoning, which is, it's a different process, it's faster, it's subconscious, and it allows us to make kind of rapid decisions. This hypothesis has kind of come into question, but some studies have sort of tried to investigate the basis of that. So one of these studies utilized something called the Iowa gambling task. In this task, you're basically given four decks of cards, and they're presented in sequence. So the choice of a particular deck can lead to financial loss, whereas others lead to financial gain. But most participants don't like rationally know the game mechanics behind it. They just kind of, they're asked to decide on the decks and then they usually get better at the task throughout the, the process. They do typically develop a feeling about which decks return financial gain. So it looks like it's the decision-making task, but actually it's kind of, it's more to do with your intuitive reasoning than it is to do with your like, executive reasoning because you have you have to do it so fast and so this study i was i was reading um, evaluated whether this test was like reasoning based or intuition based cognition so they had to do the iowa gambling test but they also had to do a test which it kind of loaded their executive functions so they had to like i think randomly generate a number and the idea was that if it was more reasoning based than it was emotionally based then the people who had to perform the random number generation, then they would be kind of at a disadvantage on this test because they were like spreading their resources thin, if you like. But this wasn't the case. So this study suggested that maybe this task involved emotional processes in the brain. So maybe the intuition was kind of in a, an emotional state. But then there are also other models. So there's this idea that it's to do with internal models generated by the cerebellum. An internal model is like a model in your brain which is created from repeated actions. So describe it as maybe movement, like repeatedly moving your arm. You don't consciously think about moving your arm and you don't kind of have to sense things around you. You just kind of do it. And this is because the model is built in your brain of learning, kind of gently adjusting without needing sensory feedback. So you don't need to kind of devote brain resources to that. And so the author of this particular paper that I read argues that your brain can also do this for more mental processes. So your prefrontal cortex and your temporoparietal cortex contribute and your cerebellum is able to perform the same task. So you have subconscious internal models and they power your intuitive thought. So in contrast to the idea that the intuition is more emotionally driven, this isn't the idea that maybe intuition is like a product of your internal models and maybe kind of subconscious learning. So it's like a semi-instinctual response to our prior experiences. And to me, I think this sounds like quite compelling because our prior experiences giving us the opportunity to respond quickly without kind of the need for sort of conscious thought. But it is only a theory. That's really interesting. It reminds me a lot of the development of AI, AI learning, right? This constant input of, of something that's meant to teach what something looks like. And then over time, without being fed a stimuli, the AI is able to say like, yes, this is like what I'm being shown. That's very convincing, actually. <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah, it's incredibly abstract. Like the paper I was reading was was quite hefty. We can link it in the notes. But yeah, it was. it's a very abstract way of thinking about neurobiology. But I think it does make sense because obviously we can't devote all of our resources to rationally thinking about everything. So it makes sense that there would be a subconscious process which allows us to do that. But this is just kind of applying something you already know about the brain to kind of mental processes, which I thought was cool. The other thing I was mentioned is, you know how I kind of mentioned how analytical and 
intuitive thinking were previously thought of as like separate? Well, some studies have suggested that maybe they happen at the same time. So they're actually different processes, but they can happen simultaneously. So maybe intuition isn't necessarily its own thing, but it's just a particular aspect of our neurobiology that like helps us to inform decisions. So there's, there's maybe more of an analytical component than we think. The last thing I had to talk about was the horse whisperer lady. I don't know if you want to introduce her, Astra. <laughs> Okay, so while Amy was researching, she found this lady. What was the name? I had to go back and look for it. I like blocked it. It was so bad. <laughs> Deborah L. Erickson, who amazingly has a PhD, and I, it still talks about this. Essentially, she believes that intuition, all of that, has something to do with like quantum entanglement and the the electromagnetic fields of the body. So this is such an interesting concept because like. It's not the first time that I've heard this idea of your heart having like an electromagnetic field surrounding it and your body also having its own kind of electromagnetic field and like they should be in tune and when things are out of tune or like when you're walking around and you're experiencing life, right, you run into other electromagnetic fields and that is what like changes maybe how you feel throughout the day or, or whatever. That's why people, that's kind of the the reasoning behind like shielding right? Protecting your own like little field from, from stuff. That's a load of crap. <laughs> and so she kind of uses that idea saying that like, let me read an excerpt. I posted it in the in our group chat because it was just so ridiculous. The emotional energy of the heart travels faster than the speed of thought. So information related to the emotional state, in this case, it sounded like she was speaking of intuition, is communicated through the body via the heart's electromagnetic field. Okay, so first of all, <laughs> the heart doesn't have an electromagnetic field. There is like an electrochemical response in your heart that's responsible for like the pumping portion. But this that doesn't create a field. And I think the other thing that I really hate about this is it's taking something like feelings and emotions and turning it into some kind of electrochemical firing of sorts, which like isn't how that works. And I just found it very infuriating. But also her idea of quantum entanglement is like idea that using this idea of entanglement as like everything is connected on a quantum level. And we'll get into this when we, when we do our quantum mysticism episode. I'm very excited for that because I have thoughts. <laughs> I have so many thoughts. But yeah, that's also just not how it works. I will link this paper that she wrote below in the episode description. And just if you want to laugh at just the ridiculousness of how far some people take intuition in the spiritual community, it is like the perfect example um, it's real bad. What did you all think about it? I, I didn't I didn't understand because I kind of opened it thinking, okay, this is our intuition. Maybe I'll maybe at least understand what her mechanism is for understand for thinking like, okay, intuition is linked to kind of quantum entanglement. And if I don't believe it, that's fine, but I can kind of explain it for the episode. But it's just I think the idea uh, between behind her thesis is that quantum entanglement somehow allows you to tap into other people's emotions, but not only other people's. We've forgotten the crucial component here, which is she can communicate with animals via telepathy. <laughs> so, examples of this include somebody who owned an African grey parrot who woke up one day and reported what happened in her owner's dream, telepathic signals to the bowls of kittens, and then got kittens to decide on which food bowl they wanted. There's only six kittens. I'm not sure what the statistical p-value there was, but basically this idea that like we're all kind of mentally connected and then intuition is some kind of informing some kind of hive mind which i i just thought was too fascinating to not discuss because it was an absolute wild ride of the paper i wish i could talk to animals who just like form that mental link 
have the parrot pair in my dream back myself. Why? Okay. But like with the whole parrot thing, people talk in their sleep, right? Like, isn't it possible that the parrot is just like parroting back what it heard when its owner was asleep? I don't get it. Belle, were you able to read through any of it? No, I decided my time was better spent. <laughs> you all would have plenty to say about it. It's fair. It was it was wild. Please do read through it. It was, it was interesting. Or don't for your own sanity. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, does intuition have predictive value? So the final thing we want to talk about for this episode was a discussion around whether intuition has predictive value and how we can evaluate this in a study setting. So yeah, I actually couldn't find very much on this because I was interested in like, okay, how accurate is our intuition? Like, has anybody actually investigated this? Like people who claim to have very good intuition, have they, uh, has this been tested? Like, could you, you know, could you say like certain people have better intuition than others? And could you measure it? And I was unsatisfied by my literature as uh, research. However, I did find some studies which looked into its use of intuition in some settings, particularly in medical settings, where intuition is kind of important, right? Because you have diagnoses being made, and often they're not necessarily always made on clinical evidence. Like they, they are made on clinical evidence, but often a clinician has to respond very quickly. And so we come back to the idea of intu- intuitive reasoning being kind of a faster version that's kind of useful in informing the diagnostic pathway. At least it's a controversial thing in the medical community. There was one focus group study that looked at the use of intuition by clinicians in six hospitals, so in the Netherlands and in Belgium. And one of the key things that arose in the study and in others as well was the relation to experience. More experienced clinicians were seen to use intuition more readily, whereas younger physicians lacked the experience to have this intuitive feeling. So they had to rely on their kind of analytical reasoning. And I just thought maybe, I was wondering what your thoughts were on how we could transfer this to kind of occult intuition. Like, could you maybe say that a more advanced practitioner could use intuition more, whereas somebody who was maybe more of a beginner would be better served by making a more rational judgment? Or does that not really apply in the occult setting? What do you think? I think what we're talking about in the medical field is very similar to what we said earlier, which was that intuition is informed by experience and also knowledge a beginner practitioner is more analytical in their thinking i mean we see it all the time right we see beginner practitioners saying oh can i use this for this spell or i'm going to follow the spell book which is literally just like a recipe book for for a spell and there's no kind of like intuitive thought of what might be better what do i have around me that i could use that would be similar and there's there's an analytical aspect to that as well but I think more advanced, I wouldn't even say advanced, more experienced or hands-on practitioners who do do a lot of things, they are more apt to maybe go in and make alterations based on how they feel. It's like, this might be a better substitution for this, like over this thing, or whether it be for abundance reasons, and it grows more abundantly where they are, or perhaps this like represents something in the spell to them more than something else. So I think more experienced practitioners are more apt to, to make those kind of substitutions based on intuition than beginner practitioners. But that's because they have experience and the knowledge to do so. They have that framework in which they're operating. Belle, what do you think? Basically would say what you were going to say. Like, I think intuition is a pretty static thing in, in that it's like, I don't necessarily think one can increase 
their intuition necessarily. Like, you know, a lot of people have exercised for like increasing your attunement to the the divine and the magical. But I think it's more about learning discernment and learning about like quieting the mind. I think that's where it really comes down to. And I think everyone has the ability to. I don't know, have that experience. I think it's just a matter of like how you access that, whether that's through meditation or listening to white noise to quiet things or movement or responsible substance use. I think that's kind of, I don't know, all all various ways to get to the similar end goal of being able to listen deeper almost and discern. I think we should probably talk a little bit about bias, maybe. I don't know if you guys have thoughts about how to differentiate between intrusive thoughts versus intuition, but if you do, maybe we can discuss that for the end portion. I have to think about this, so someone else has thoughts, you go first. Like, do you mean like how bias influences intuition? I meant, sorry, I meant to include those as separate things. So the bias thing would be one, would be one aspect, so like looking out for things like hindsight, so like for example right. with the nurses like if somebody passed after they had a bad experience then obviously they their intuition is like validated so that's something that you could also look out for in like an occult setting right but also right. i think since we've talked so much about discernment maybe like an example of how to use discernment would be would be good so like maybe looking out for the fear associated with an, an intrusive thought versus the kind of more organic feeling of intuition yeah so i think that like an example of discernment for me like for example intrusive thought for me if i'm laying awake in bed and suddenly i'm just like the stove is on <laughs> like that's not my intuition that's like 100% intrusive thought i and i have it like a lot of times intrusive thoughts are reoccurring right too so like i often have intrusive thoughts about like gotta get up gotta check the stove gotta check it gotta check it did you check it and i'm just like oh my god shut up whereas intuition is definitely like almost like i'm in a grocery store and i see a candle and i'm like i feel almost it's like a ping almost i'm just like i gotta go get that candle i think sometimes there can be an uncomfortable overlap especially if like you have intrusive thoughts for whatever reason but for me that's like a clear distinction is one is more anxiety driven and the other one is more like quiet and calm so bias yeah i think that's a huge thing bias is a huge thing with intuition especially hindsight bias i think is like a big thing yeah. if we consider the more abstract idea that we talked about with intuition previously then hindsight bias would definitely play a role right because you would have experienced something and it's going to create kind of that that background memory in the cerebellum so that when a similar situation or circumstance comes up you you essentially are biased toward your intuition kind of going one direction versus another based on what happened previously. That's not quite 100% what hindsight bias is, but that's the kind of the best connection I think I can make there. So yeah, I do think that there can be bias in intuition based on previous experience for sure. I think for me, like the sense of anxiety, but also the sense of urgency with it. Like with intuition, I can kind of sit down, I can watch and wait. And if that's if that if that doesn't really go away, then I have a little bit more of a sense. And I am just saying this as somebody of like really terrible intuition. So like maybe don't take my advice. <laughs> um, but for me, like if I have an intrusive thought, they tend to be more like magical thinking type things. Like, magical thinking in the psychological sense, not, not, in, not in the um, actual magical thinking sense. So I might be like lying in bed and I'll like, I'll like feel really bad. And I'm like, oh, uh, my duvet is like contaminated with bad energy. I need to get, I need to get rid of the duvet. Like, I need to get rid of it. I need to get rid of it. Like I have to get rid of that. It's just like contaminated with bad energy. And so that might like feel quite spiritual because I'm like, oh yeah, bad, bad vibes in this room, whatever, being very vague here. But the sense of like 
have to do it now, like this is very important right now, that's usually a sign for me that it is OCD related and not something to be paying attention to. And so if I can, I can kind of wait a few days and see if it lingers, usually that kind of uh, go, goes away. And yeah, usually intuition as well is more of the insight variety for me. So it's usually more of a kind of what than a yes, no, which I think helps a lot. Yeah, I think urgency is a good way to distinguish because like, like I have anxiety and that's definitely, and also, also kind of like the, how fast it pops up is something else that I've noticed. Anxious thoughts, I mean, something happens and my brain is just like, what if? And I'm like, okay, okay. But typically intuition is one of those things where it's like, it kind of slowly builds over time. And so it starts off with like a little nagging thing and I'm like, no, 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 it's fine. And if it keeps kind of building, I'm like, okay, this is not something that I've like quote unquote made up or my brain is, you know, just being anxious about. It's like truly there's something that I need to be paying attention to. So I do think the urgency is a good way to maybe distinguish between intrusive thoughts and your intuition, maybe letting you know that something isn't quite right for sure. All right, we will call it. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. This was kind of a long one, surprisingly. I didn't know we had this much to talk about. But we will see you next week. So have a great day, everybody. 